0: Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Monday, June 8th, 2020. I'm Brian McCullough today. Might we see a V-shaped recovery after all? Airbnb says there is a lot of pent-up demand for travel out there. Brave got caught doing basically the shadiest thing a web browser can do, proof that YouTube owns the kids, and soon you might be able to buy basically anything from Apple interest-free on the Apple card, as long as it's an Apple product, of course. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Well, this is certainly a hopeful sign, or at least a sign that people are willing to travel again. Airbnb is reporting that in the last few weeks, roughly May 17th through June 3rd, it has seen more U.S. bookings than it did in the same period last year. So maybe a V-shaped recovery for some areas of the economy at least? Quote, people, after having been stuck in their homes for a few months, do want to get out of their houses. It's really, really clear, Airbnb Chief Executive Officer Brian Chesky said in an interview, but they don't necessarily want to get on an airplane and are not yet comfortable leaving their countries, end quote. Yes, the sudden interest in travel does seem to be localized, or at least people want to travel within easy reach of their homes, maybe within a day or so in terms of car travel. And Airbnb is not alone in seeing this, quoting again from Bloomberg. U.S. searches for VRBO are now up compared to this time last year, according to a note by Cohen and company analyst Kevin Koppelman on Monday. And Airbnb queries are down only around 10%. However, hotels on the wider Expedia brand have yet to get any summer relief with searches still down more than 60%. International sojourns, usually planned months in advance, are being replaced with impulsive road trips booked a day before, and weekend getaways are turning into weeks-long respites, Chesky said. Previously, a New Yorker might have headed to Paris for a week in June. Now they are going to the Catskills for a month. Quote, work from home is becoming working from any home, Chesky said. Since the pandemic began, the percentage of bookings on Airbnb within 200 miles, or 322 kilometers, a round-trip travelers can typically complete on one tank of gas, has grown from a third in February to more than 50% in May. Travel in a post-COVID world is shifting, quote, from airplane to car, big city to small location, hotel to home, Chesky said. And this paragraph from the same piece that I've been quoting from all along is interesting and probably explains why this news has suddenly been floated in the way that it has. Quoting one last time. The unexpected speed of the comeback has kept Airbnb's plans for a 2020 public market debut afloat. Chesky had originally planned to file paperwork for an offering March 31st, but was waylaid by the pandemic-related market turmoil that led to speculation the listing would be shelved until next year. However, Chesky says it's still an option. Quote, We're not ruling out going public this year, and we're not committing to it, he said. Airbnb was valued at $31 billion in its most recent private fundraising round, though recent debt issuance to shore up its finances have significantly reduced that valuation, end quote. You know how sometimes I do a story about a company that maybe has come in for a lot of criticism in recent times, but then they do something unambiguously good, and so... I say, well, this is from the credit where due department, right? Yeah, well, this story is the opposite of that. The Brave browser, which, again, if you're a long-time listener, you'll recall I switched to recently, the Brave browser has been caught revising typed-in domains to companies like Binance and other crypto-related sites with URLs that include affiliate referral codes. In fact, let me quote from Decrypt here. A firestorm erupted today after Twitter user Yannick Eckel, who goes by Cryptonator1337, noticed that when Brave's users searched for Binance, the browser automatically redirected to an affiliate version of the URL, which Brave profits from. Brave had recently partnered with the crypto exchange. Binance's CEO Changpeng Zhao had also expressed support for Brave on Twitter. The squall blossomed into a full-on storm after Dimitar Dinev, managing director of JRR Crypto, unearthed yet more redirect links. Digging into Brave's GitHub page, Dinev found that Brave also redirects its users to the websites of Ledger, Trezor, and Coinbase. Brendan Eich, CEO and co-founder of Brave, immediately apologized when the breach was publicized. Quote, Sorry for this mistake, he tweeted about the issue, which he added has since been fixed. Quote, we will never revise typed-in domains again, I promise, he said. I'm sad about it too, end quote. So it appears that this only happened with crypto-related searches and products and affiliate programs, at least as far as we know right now. But it's also worth noting that Brave never alerted its users about or labeled or asked for opt-in permission to do any of this. And for a company that basically has spent its entire life bad-mouthing the shady things Google does to web users, this is something else. I know that this is one of those things where if you're a parent, you already know this, but then at the same time, if I wasn't a parent, this is exactly the sort of trend I'd like to be clued into. For kids these days, TV basically means YouTube. YouTube. Full stop. Like, Netflix and even Disney Plus and other types of streaming, they're a different sort of animal in terms of viewing habits. But if we're talking about traditional TV viewing habits, like the veg out, couch potato, flip around and watch whatever sense of the word. YouTube is TV for kids these days. Confirmation of this from a study of kids aged 4 to 15 in the U.S., U.K., and Spain, which found that kids spend an average of 85 minutes a day on YouTube, but also 80 minutes a day on TikTok. More on that in a second. The study covered the time period February of last year through April of this year, quoting TechCrunch. Kids are now watching twice as many videos per day as they did just four years ago. This is despite the fact that YouTube's flagship app is meant for ages 13 and up, an age gate that was never truly enforced, leading to the FTC's historic $170 million fine for the online video platform in 2019 for its non-compliance with U.S. children's privacy regulations. The app today is used by 69% of U.S. kids— of kids in the UK, and 88% of kids in Spain. Its app for younger children, YouTube Kids, meanwhile, is only used by 7% of kids in the US, 10% of kids in the UK, and wasn't even on the radar in Spain. The next largest app for online video is Netflix, watched by 33% of US kids, 29% of UK kids, and 28% of kids in Spain, end quote. So you see what I mean about YouTube being an entirely different animal when it comes to viewing behavior, like it's more than twice as popular as even Netflix. But the total number of YouTube minutes watched, according to the study, was actually down a bit. And that might largely perhaps be thanks to TikTok, quoting from TechCrunch again. From May 2019 through February 2020, the average minutes per day kids spent on TikTok increased by 116% in the U.S. to reach 82 minutes, went up by 97% in the U.K. to reach 69 minutes, and increased 150% in Spain to reach 60 minutes. And there's plenty of room to grow. In February 2020, just 16.5% of U.S. kids use TikTok, just behind the 20.4% on Instagram and ahead of the 16% on Snapchat. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for one password. I can't live without it. OnePassword password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like Autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. That's their air underwear. Crazy, comfortable, but elevated sweatpants, the Ace Collection. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads, the Silver Peak Polo. That's my personal fave and ultra-soft antimicrobial tees for when you need to stay fresh longer. Their silver crew neck t-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code RIDE. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code RIDE. Now to catch you up on some stories from the weekend, sources are speculating that Apple might soon roll out 12-month interest-free Apple Card payment plans for iPads, Macs, and other select products, as well as six-month interest-free plans for things like AirPods, Apple TV, and the HomePod, quoting Mark Gurman in Bloomberg. The payments will be managed through the Apple Card section in the Wallet app on the iPhone and charges will be added to a customer's monthly Apple Card bill. Apple started a similar program for the iPhone last year, offering 24 months no interest. The program is similar to those by carriers selling phones and other products, offering consumers another avenue to purchase these items with monthly payments. The service is also designed to spur enrollment for the Apple Card, a joint effort with Goldman Sachs, and boost sales of Apple products by letting users split up the costs over time. It will be compatible with Apple's education discounts, the people said." End quote. And more pressure on Mark Zuckerberg. Not that pressure means anything to Mark Zuckerberg, because it's good to be the emperor when no one can actually check your power. More than 140 scientists funded by the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, the philanthropic organization founded by the Facebook CEO and his wife Priscilla Chan, have urged Zuckerberg to reconsider Facebook's policies on misinformation and incendiary language. The letter said that, quote, the social media sites lacks policy enforcement around inaccurate information and incendiary language is contrary to CZI's mission to, quote, build a healthier, just, and more inclusive future, end quote. The list of signatories includes professors from more than 60 leading research institutions, including Harvard University, Stanford University, and University of California, San Francisco, as well as one Nobel laureate. Quote, as scientists, we are dedicated to investigating ways to better our world, the letter says. The spread of deliberate misinformation and divisive language is directly antithetical to this goal, and we are therefore deeply concerned at the stance Facebook has taken on policing content. The letter calls out one policy stance in particular, Zuckerberg's decision to allow President Trump to post quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, end quote, on Facebook's platform, a reference to the protests around the country following the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis police custody. The scientists argue that the message clearly flouts the company's against inciting violence. Quote, thus, like many, we were disconcerted to see that Facebook has not followed their own policies in regards to President Trump, the letter says, end quote. Now, I should also note that Zuckerberg did over the weekend publish a post vowing to review Facebook's policies on state force and voter suppression, and also to ensure content moderation diversity. But I was also talking to someone about this over the weekend, and they pointed out that oftentimes generational differences are a fine-grained thing, and that, weirdly, Zuck, for as young as he is, might be finding himself on the wrong side of a particular generational divide. This person pointed out, for example, how stridently Evan Spiegel, among others, has come out with very specific political stances in recent weeks, while Zuckerberg maintains his seeming lifelong affinity for tone deafness or at least dissemination. We were talking specifically about how viral the protest movement has been on social media. Like, there has been data floating around that this is maybe the most viral thing in U.S. history, especially among the under-30 crowd. And this person pointed out that it doesn't take much to seem like an old, out-of-touch person on social media. I pointed out that Zuckerberg and Spiegel are only six years apart in age, but then this person pointed out that Zuckerberg is so powerful he can only ever support the status quo these days, both politically and from a business perspective now. Once you're an oligarch, you think like an oligarch. I pointed out that Facebook is largely for the olds now anyway, and then we debated about to what degree that was true for Instagram, and to what degree anyone's politics affect what platform they use, once that platform is big enough and everyone you know is on it. I also pointed out, no one loves to look at the data and see which way the wind is blowing more than Mark Zuckerberg, so this aside is neither here nor there, but just food for thought about Facebook's positioning in the current climate. Again, though, not that it would ever make a difference, because no one can make Mark Zuckerberg do anything he doesn't want to do, even his conscience. Finally today, and I know I'm harping on this yet again, but look at what a big deal this continues to be. Over the weekend, the Abu Dhabi Investment Authority announced that it would be investing $750 million for a 1.16% stake in, you guessed it, Reliance Geo platforms. This follows news from late last week that I didn't get to that Silver Lake, the private equity firm, would be doubling down investing an additional six hundred million dollars in order to up its stake in Reliance Geo Platforms to two point zero eight percent, up from one point one five percent. So I just want to underline again why I think this is all such a big deal. It's not just that everybody is rushing to invest in India all of a sudden in a very specific area, although they are. It's not just the size of the investments, though; it's that too, because you know, three years ago when SoftBank was investing in huge ungodly rounds. That was a big deal. It's also the people that are doing the investing, like the Abu Dhabi Wealth Fund, the wealth fund for an entire country, Silver Lake, KKR, Facebook. Essentially, what we're seeing here is the biggest most sophisticated pools of capital in the world. This isn't just everybody. These are the deepest pockets in a world of deep-pocketed capital. And they are literally backing up their Brinks trucks and shoveling as much money as they possibly can into India and into Reliance Geo specifically. And they're doing so like their lives depend on it. Like, this is a sure thing that has a ticking clock attached to it with the time running out. Just another example, Silver Lake is one of the most sophisticated private capital firms in the world, and they just invested $750 million last month, and it's like they woke up from a fever dream, turned around, and invested another $600 million like the previous month's investment wasn't nearly enough. Smart Money knows that something huge is going on here. All along, I've been assuming that it's the fact that India is a huge market, that for certain things like telecoms, it's not a fully built out market yet, and then you throw in what we've talked about for a while now, the whole super app thing that we've seen happen in China and Southeast Asia, where an entire economy can essentially be platformed inside an app, where, you know, all of the shopping, communications, commerce, banking, transportation, you name it, it can all be done inside of one single app these days. I'm pretty sure that's what's going on, but... I'd also like to know more. I'd like to know more about Geo platforms. Why is it on the market so aggressively all of a sudden? If this is such an opportunity, why does it need so much capital so fast? What are the contours and details around this opportunity? And who exactly is Mukesh Ambani, the man behind Geo? Again, if you can suggest to me someone smart that knows this space, some newsletter, some analyst, someone that can fill me in here, please send them my way thanks in advance. That's all for today. I'm running late because I need to help out with another one of our shows this afternoon. So going to leave you real quick. Talk to you tomorrow.